Up next is a conversation with Linda Nelson, CEO of Indie Rights, who is a film distributor located in Los Angeles. Linda, welcome to Color Talk. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm just really excited because you've got so much to say here. This is part two of a conversation where we're going to delve into the world of, of a distributor and ask the question, what if a filmmaker spoke with a distributor before a film was completed or, or maybe even started? What, what might they learn? Could any money be saved or could more money be made as a result of collaborating early with a distributor. As a filmmaker, we find ourselves singly focused on how the story moves you emotionally or sometimes just singly focused on something, but it's rarely how well it's going to play in distribution. Who better to ask the question than a distributor? And in fact, I'm going to ask this question to two different distributors. And if you've heard part one with Andy Grace, then that's something you want to go back and catch. But right now, I'm in part two with Linda Nelson. And um, kind of just start out with, uh, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes, I don't know if this is right or not, Linda, but people, I think, sometimes think a distributor as a kind of gatekeeper. And uh, I don't know if that's really true or not, but I think we may be surprised. I think you'll be really surprised. However, I think that in the past... That was a more accurate portrayal of oh, a really? distributor. Absolutely. And uh, quite quite often, uh, and I would say the norm would, would have been in the past to finish your film first uh, and that a distributor wouldn't even begin to look at it until you at least had, you know, picture lock. Oh, you know, that's really very interesting because the parallel there is the same for a colorist or a digital intermediate. In the past, you just you totally got done with the whole thing. You totally locked it in place. And then if you had the money at the time, you brought it to a colorist. Um, but now it's like, well, you ought to talk to me first before you decide to do that. And I would say today, uh, more than at any other time, it can mean the difference between success or failure of your film. And I, I, I truly believe that you should have discussions with distributors before, during pre-production. Oh, well. Uh, and I, the, same, the same with a colorist. You yeah, know. yeah. Uh, I think that, that filmmakers must get used to focusing on multiple facets of their film rather than just on how am I going to tell this story. Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, they also, I think, think about casting the right people and things like that. But what is critical today is how it's critical how your film looks. And what's happened is that um, because there is such great inexpensive technology and you can get a, a camera so inexpensive these days, it's easy to... Have a film that you think looks super high quality. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and so that part of it, um, I think, lets filmmakers feel like they, oh, I've got this beat. Now I can do what I want. Right. And, and, and also uh, they feel like they can just keep shooting and right. not be so prepared as they used to be. When, and, and I think we have to get m m back towards... Uh, the process that filmmakers used when they were shooting on film because exactly. they were forced to consider uh, color and lighting and look and feel uh, 
because um, it was expensive to shoot on film. <laughs> exactly. And I think I think technology has let filmmakers become lazy. Right. Uh, and so I think now it's really important to kind of, you know, backtrack a little bit and get back in those good habits. There's nothing like being prepared. Right. Uh, it saves you a tremendous amount of money. And some of the things I think you discussed with Andy in your uh, last podcast mm -hmm. uh, about uh, being really, really prepared uh, for who uh, your audience is going to be for a film. And... You did discuss that with her, and I, and I do think it's an important uh, point. So one of the things that I think filmmakers have to do is if they are – if a filmmaker is extremely creative-oriented and, they're, and they, they just don't feel like they can embrace the concept of being an artist um, entrepreneur, yeah. then they have to have a good, strong producing partner that does handle that side. Because if you don't prepare for distribution from the beginning – you're going to have terrible problems. And both on the technical side, you know, how you shoot and, and in what format you shoot. Uh, because now getting your film out to key distribution platforms is totally dependent on passing very stringent quality control. Well, I'll tell you what, before, before we jump into that, that's exactly what we want to get into the meat and potatoes on. And before we do that, what I'd like to do is just make sure the audience knows who Indie Rights is and kind of what makes you unique in addition to this incredible information you're imparting here. Tell us a little bit about Indie Rights. Okay. Uh, well, Indie Rights was born... Uh, out of necessity. Uh, <laughs> right. my, par my partner, Michael Madison, and myself uh, started out as filmmakers. And as we were on the festival circuit with our second film, uh, we were starting to get offers. And because I had a, uh, a, a an investment banking background, uh -huh. I had a lot of experience with contracts. And when I started to see the contracts for the offers that we were getting for distribution, I was appalled at how one-sided they were oh, in favor of the distributor. Yeah. And we, at, right at that point, decided we were not going to get, you know, give our film away to anybody unless, you know, uh, so we decided at that point we were going to get into the g distribution game and learn how to do that ourselves because we just heard horror stories from other filmmakers about how, oh no, once you finish your film, you're just going to have to find somebody you trust and hand it to them. And most of the time that doesn't work <laughs> out very well, especially financially. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so it was at that point and it was in about, it was uh, like 2006 um, uh, or seven. We decided we were going to get into the distribution game. And it just mushroomed into what is now a, a very well-respected distribution company. And, and, you know, even though when we first did it, it was, as, it was almost out of a selfish need to protect our own creative uh, output, yeah. uh, it became extremely important for us to help other filmmakers uh, learn and share. And we now have a very important uh, educational um, aspect to our company. We, you know, we're determined. We try to speak on podcasts like this at film festivals so that filmmakers can learn that they really need to keep control of their film and, and learn how it's not hard to learn how to do it the right way so that you can create a revenue stream for yourself that will help you 
finance more films. I mean, I don't think anyone gets into the business to make one film. I th- I think we, as filmmakers, Ongoing. hope to make films the rest of our life. And unfortunately, probably 90% of, of the filmmakers that make one film never make another because they get so discouraged. And so, but it, that doesn't have to happen. And it's all about education and the internet now and, and, and podcasts like what you uh, produce and mm-hmm. put out on iTunes are just going to spread the word to filmmakers, you know, about how they can maintain control of their projects and create revenue streams so that they can continue making films. Cool. Well, uh, is there any couple of interesting films in the last uh, year or two that you'd uh, like to let us know about? Sure. Uh, I'll talk about one in uh, particular uh, because I think it is just uh, such a great example of what you can do. Yeah. A very small film. Uh, it's a film called Frey, uh-huh. F-R-A-Y, and you'll find it on – it's very interesting to look at as a case study for a small film that has become very successful. Uh, this film uh, – Cost under $25,000. Wow. <laughs> it has no stars. But this film, uh, we, and we'll talk about this later. One of the things that we do uh, with Indie Rights that makes us kind of unique as a distributor, well, there's several things, and we can talk about that too. But for, uh, for films, for select films, we do limited theatrical releases in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. We found a small theater called Arena Cinema in uh, Hollywood, and they, uh, we have a special um, um, project set up with them whereby we do a one-week release at that theater, and yeah. it's in, in Hollywood. And it's kind of an intimate setting with a patio, and we have a big red carpet um, <laughs> premiere with with all of the professional photographers like Getty Images and and Wire Image uh, that show up. And and when you do that, you wind up getting a review from the L.A. Times. Wow! Uh, an L.A. Times review, even if it's bad, is good for your film. Just the fact that you have been reviewed by a top critic in the country and are published in the LA Times and on their website automatically guarantees you a, a Rotten Tomato score and and raises your film to the you know uh, to the level of a film that's distributed by any of the of the like mini majors even like a Weinstein uh, because mm-hmm. you now have been released in a theater. And you've got a top critic review. And what happens is that also like the LA Weekly does the review. And those reviews get picked up by papers all over the country that don't have critics. So you want the village, for example, the Village Voice picks it up. So you're getting coverage all over the country uh, about your film. And, 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 and that, that really changes. That's a real game changer. Oh, so anyway, yeah. the, the LA Times just gave the most glorious review of both the way Frey was made, the director, and the and the lead actor. Just, you know, couldn't have you couldn't ask for a more glorious mm-hmm. review. Wow. Well, of course, those become the quotes that you use in all of your promotion. Your media, yeah. Um, and because of of really thoughtful use of social media, especially Facebook. We were able to use Facebook to find uh, – I'll tell you a little bit about the film so you understand. Sure. 
This film is about a young Marine, very small, simple story, but beautifully set, um, you know, uh, geographically. It's about a Marine that comes back from, uh, from the war with PTSD and a wounded leg. And it's about the challenges he faces reintegrating back into nor some type of normal life. Uh, and, um, it's, it's this, it won the audience award at, at uh, dances with film, which is a, a festival, a smaller festival here in Los Angeles, but a, an excellent one. Sure. They tried for two years to get regular distribution. Oh, they didn't come to you first. Two just, years. No, yeah. no, no. Well, because Michael and I are alumni of that festival. You we got knew word. about the film. You heard about and it. And we talked to him. And maybe once every four or five months, I would email back to them and <laughs> say, you know, you have a gorgeous film. If you haven't got distribution Let me help yet, you. keep us in mind, right? Yeah, right, right. And finally, after two years, we heard from them. They said, you know what? We can't find it. They, we can't find anybody who's, you know, offer we want to accept. And we like, you know, we have a really good feeling about you. And we'd like to go with you. And so we did. So we did this little theatrical release. It got this fabulous review. Then uh, it went to, uh, it was picked up for cable, you know, with Comcast, Time Warner. Yay. We got it, a, a, a real DVD deal. Uh, it went out in this past November and uh, sold out in Barnes and & Noble and, and is, is doing well on DVD. And it's also available on every digital platform you can imagine. So it takes us about a year to really roll out to all of the distribution points that we can. But what I was saying about social media that's so important is that with, um, with Facebook, you can identify uh, people that are going to be interested in your film. For example, on this film, if you put PTSD in the search graph on Facebook, yeah. over a thousand organizations come up. Oh. And it's a simple uh, matter of Got it. Me- using the message function, writing to the admin of the page and saying, look, I got something we have a film that touches you know, on your subject. Great tip. And we see that you have 35,000 or you have 100,000 <laughs> right. people that are going to appreciate this story. The L.A. Times and, more importantly, veterans that have seen the film have said is the most realistic film about what they face when they come back. Right. All of a sudden, we have all of these people embracing this this film. and And it's simply a matter of saying – We'd love for you to share it with your audience. Would you please here post a link, you know, to the Facebook page. People can get it on all of these places. And in exchange, we're more than happy to post a link to your page so that our moviegoers that, need, you know, would be interested in what you do can contact with you. And this is so important because everyone on uh, – everyone is looking for content. You can't just keep saying, buy my movie, buy my movie, buy my movie. Believe me, people get bored with that. I know. So you you want to be able to provide valuable content for your audience, besides where they can get the movie. So we 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 like to recommend you know probably four or five great posts. Be you know for each post you put about where you can get well, it. Well, that's just a spot on story with a great ending on it. So oh, it's just doing so well. We're so <laughs> thrilled. And 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 I'll talk about one other one sure and it's called where we started 
<laughs> where we started, uh, okay. And the re- the we did the same path. Yeah. However, the LA Times review was terrible. Oh. Okay. Uh, the tagline was where we started never got going. Oh, <laughs> oh, ouch. Oh, just out, right? <laughs> the director was heartbroken. I bet. And I said, "Don't worry about don't it. Worry don't worry about, about it. it." So anyway, we did. We had. We did the next night. We had the theatrical review, and we thought, "Oh my God, the film's doomed." And I said, "No, no, no. Doesn't matter. What matters is that you've been reviewed by a top critic in the one of the top papers in the country. Right. That's what's important. No bad press. People understand. Yeah, and they got a picture in the print. You know, in the and print, some critics uh, are just edition. off. Yeah. Oh, of course. And and it's just it's just a personal opinion. Yeah. Now, what happened was that someone walked the red carpet that was hugely of interest to the uh, uh, to the press, and it got picked up by everyone, and every photo of this person oh. said, so-and-so attends the premiere of where we started. <laughs> it, it got so much coverage, it trended on Yahoo. Uh. And that film has become one of our very top-selling films. Just because. Right, just because. And it's so much about finding some way to get exposure. Right. And so it does, you know, a lot of times reviews, it doesn't matter so much whether it's good or bad. And sometimes even bad can create, stir up a lot more discussion. Um, there's a third film that we have. And I'm not going to say the title because uh, I, don't, I don't like to talk about, you know, bad reviews. Sure, but sure, sure. on Amazon... It's so important that you get as many people as possible to review oh, yeah, good your point. film. Excellent. Because yeah. they have robots that watch and algorithms that pick up activity. And if they see huge amount of activity on a film, oh, really? they start recommending it uh-huh. to other people because they put out a, a newsletter weekly saying, oh, you know, check out this film, right? Uh-huh. Well, in order to, 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 to prime that pump, that algorithm pump, yeah. And recommendation pump, you've got to have a lot of reviews. So we encourage our filmmakers to get 50 to 100 reviews on their films. And when they do, we that activity pays off. Now, we, we have one film that gets the worst reviews. You get to do one to five stars on Amazon, right? Right, right. right. And then you can make a comment or a little review. Well, this one... 80%, 80 to 90% of the reviews are one stars instead of five stars. Wow. Again, the filmmaker was heartbroken I'll because bet. some of them were mean. <laughs> but you know, you get there. There's haters online that love to just bash things, right? They're like bullies. They're just like schoolyard bullies. <laughs> and so they'll say, "I saw five minutes. It was so bad I couldn't even watch the rest." And they'll give it one star. Well, that's not fair to give a movie five minutes. <laughs> you know, don't leave a review if you didn't watch the film, right? But so anyway, so we tell the filmmakers just go on there and and comment on every review. And if somebody doesn't like your film, just tell them, hey, sorry you didn't like this one. Maybe you'll like the, my next one better, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so and, and so many times a filmmaker will want to counter or engage in a bad way with, with some of these haters. And so we, we encourage them not to do that, but just to kind of take the high road and, and uh, you know, because so. But anyway, so it, sometimes it just doesn't matter you know, if the reviews are great or not. I but think that's, what I think matters that's really is the engagement. Yeah, engagement. Know, engagement. And if you can have something controversial, all the better. We have another film that, that winds up on two sides of the abortion issue. 
Oh yeah, well, yeah. Okay, that's a big you know, our family planning, and and it's an important issue. And so we have this one side that's saying no, this is why you have to be abstinent, and, and then on the other side you have to say no, Planned Parenthood, use condoms, you know that. So and they hate each other. <laughs> and so I mean that one that film we had a hundred thousand, you know, comments on Hulu. It's just just insane, you know. Like if, so, so controversy is good, you know. And uh, so those are a few case studies of films that have, uh, you know, just we've been thrilled with, you know. So. Better to be controversial than to not be at all, not be existent right. at yeah. all, is what you're exactly. saying. Well, then let's move into the nitty gritty on the technical side. On our pre-call, we had a. We had a marvelous pre-call, and I appreciate for that. Appreciate you for that. It was we got into some um, technical things that were related to many of the issues I run into as a colorist uh, with regards to uh, you know helping a client get ready and all that. And so let's delve into that. I think you have this okay. uh, list list of it was like five or eight like must do items uh, or be keenly aware of items uh, before bringing it to a distributor. Right. Uh, when when you are planning your film, uh, it is definitely great to talk to a colorist because it. Uh, and this again goes back to the discussion we started in the beginning uh, about making sure that you have some feel for what the look of this film is, is going to be, whether it's going to be dark and you know, or whether it's going to be bright and, you know, fluffy and, and, and lighting is so, so very, very important because you can't fix most lighting problems in post. People have this idea with digital. <laughs> Tell just, more people that, please. Yeah, just, 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 just shoot a clean and then the colorist will fix it yeah, in right. the end, right? Fix, yeah, right. And, and, and there's, it's so not true uh, because you cannot add light to someone's face. I know. Uh, you know, you, 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 and, 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 and I get so many films that much of it is, you know, great, great, you know, footage because they've, they've shot it in, uh, you know, uh, with a red camera right? Of course. and, and it right. looks gorgeous, but, but any scenes, uh, that are like inside or at night, they're so poorly lit that you can't, you just can't see them and it there's not you know that really makes your film look amateurish now i'll say a, a quick thing about 4k there's no reason not to shoot a film in 4k these days we really? our, our last film we did four years ago and we did the whole film in 4k the entire workflow so let's let's talk a little more about that why do you think that's uh we, we i guess what you're saying is we've 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 pushed a turning point on that yeah and i will say um because film, film uh, projections, uh, digital projections, still two K largely. Well, well, we'll talk about that. Too. Okay, all right. Well, you go. There, those are two, <laughs> two, two points that are important to yeah. discuss. Okay. Four K. Four K is how people are going to be watching. Most people are going to be watching your film, and this is what people aren't thinking about. May, most people do not see a film in the theater. I agree. I don't okay. think people get that really. Not right. They don't. Most people do not see a film in the theater. They see it on their big flat panel TV at home. Right. Exactly. All the new TVs are 4K. Go by go by any Best Buy 
and just stand there for an hour and you'll just see truck after truck after truck somebody borrowed to bring home their latest 70 inch screen right and and their 4k now this the movie fray that we were talking about uh we have four films that are now on samsung 4k televisions no kidding and this is a twenty five thousand dollar film okay so I don't, I don't buy this. Oh, it's too expensive. It's not. Our, like I said, our last uh-huh. film, Deliver, uh-huh. it was a $50,000 film. <laughs> and we did it in 4K all the way through. We did not pay a penny, you know, to, you know, add, we didn't add a lot, anything to our budget to have that. We were fortunate enough to find a very talented uh, DP uh, who was very proficient in lighting. Good. And his parents had given him a red camera as graduation for college. Wow. From film school. Wow. Okay. He had done some music videos and shorts, but was looking to get that first feature credit. Sure. And of course, he was on board. And see, we were able to add him to our team very, very, you know, inexpensively. Nice. And so we were able to also, we beta tested um, Adobe's editing software the new premiere the new premiere right for we beta tested using that film as the test excellent and now anybody can use that system yeah and i highly highly recommend adobe premiere because this especially if you're going to have any effects because after effects which is the industry standard sure is incorporated into the timeline and you have waste no time rendering. Right. It's dynamically linked. So you make changes in the effects and they're automatically on your timeline. Really sweet. Yeah. Uh, and and it's all, all that rendering takes place in the background. So um, so between those two things, we were able to have a total 4K workflow from beginning to end on uh, our film delivered. And it can make the difference between your film looking amateurish or like a studio film. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and so many times I think, oh, well, we don't know how to do this or we don't know how to do that. Well, my partner sat with a laptop and video co-pilot uh, YouTube videos to make the explosions. We open with a war scene. Who yeah. would th- who would – and this is another thing. You don't have to limit yourself to shooting uh, a low-budget film in an apartment with three actors. Not necessary. We had 22 locations and, and were able to wow. uh, able to um, get those locations for nothing. And this goes back to that whole concept of having, you know, really good preparation. We used Facebook, and we should talk about that a little bit later, too, right, right. Uh, as a way to scout locations. Oh, when that's you, a smart idea. When you start your social media early – you wind up having the strongest Uber fans that you can imagine that are going to force all their friends to go see your movie, (laughs) believe me, because their name's in the credit. We gave a location scout credit uh, to everyone who provided Brilliant, brilliant. What what we did was we posted, (laughs) this is what we need. If you can provide us with one of these locations for free, we will give you a location scout credit, Right. And so, oh, people just love to go out and feel like they're part of making your movie. For sure. Movies, a collaborative process making movies. And, and it makes them feel good to, to know that they, you know, I got that location, right? 
they're proud of that and yeah. they, they and it's important and so there are so many ways that you can save money during production if you're smart about it and plan well with that film uh had, was 30 days of shooting um you know 22 locations uh huge cast and uh you know like i said it has war scenes and car chases and explosions and lots of guns and uh you know people don't think they can make big movies for you know on a small budget but you can wow wow you just, just have to not let your brain put limitations on your creativity it's all about creative you know producing and uh, so I think, uh, but anyway, the well, back to the 4K. Back to the like, technical, yeah. Yeah, back to the 4K. What you said was absolutely true. You go in Costco or Best Buy, any electronic, big electronic store, and it's filled with these huge 4K televisions. And that is the way most people will be watching their movies. Right. So if uh, let me tell you, our, our second movie we did, we shot on a Canon uh XL1, which is one of the first, you know, yeah. digital cameras that filmmakers could use, yeah. right? Well, let me tell you, it looks horrible. <laughs> it looks horrible on a, on a 2K television, on a 1080p HD. Yeah. It doesn't hold up. What you want to do is you want to future-proof your movies. Right. It's the biggest reason to shoot in 4K. Sony's got a really inexpensive 4K camera now that's gorgeous. Uh, Canon has... 4K cameras. Right. Everyone so, does. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, no. it's they're, kind they're of they're very, very, you know, they're they're less expensive than that horrible Canon XL1. It wasn't horrible at the time, but it's, it's horrible now. It, it's, <laughs> it hasn't come out of its box in. Five as a, as as a midpoint in the show here, it's is it's worth mentioning again that that's the key point is that hardware costs have dropped dramatically. Software costs have dropped dramatically. Uh, I mean, what used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in color grading, it, the software's free now from DaVinci. And, um, well, I mean, Black Magic, they bought DaVinci. And, and yes, you need to have some expertise. Yes, you need to learn what you're doing. But the thing is, just rushing to the gear and rushing to the software and, 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 and getting a shoot and just doing it um, doesn't make you, 4K doesn't make you a better filmmaker. It's how you yeah. collaborate across. And do early conversations about what it is you're trying to create. Money is f less and less the issue. Is fundamentally what you're saying if you're smart. Right. And right. smart is is not Lone Ranger smart. Smart is how do we collaborate and and all up and down the line periodically and see how our story evolves and our creativity evolves to get the best of what we can because that's what's going to separate you and your production quality. Absolutely. I mean. As a distributor now, um, we probably get maybe ten films a week. People, wow. you know, wanted to wanting to submit their uh, films to us, and you used to be able to separate a lot of them out in the first five ten minutes because the quality, <laughs> if it was horrible, <laughs> that you know they were like, oh no, there's no way. Now it's well, the we, story. Well, huh? The thing is, um, these sites are curated. Yes, uh, iTunes is not going to take anything, right? Uh, Hulu is not going to take anything. You might explain, might be before you jump into that. When we say curated, I, I, I think people know it means that someone's there's some pre-filtering. But talk a little bit about what that means from from an iTunes or a, you know Amazon right. perspective. Well, I mean, I think they look at a number of things. They know what they have something specific they're looking for. Right. I mean, 
and part of this is back to that technical thing. What I see happening is bad lighting. Right. No consistent look and feel for the film. Oh, it's it's all over the place. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's something talking to a colorist can help you uh, develop, you know, that you have moods and very specific reasons for changing that mood through the look of the film. Uh, they look at that and it helps tell your story if you do it the right way. Critical is audio. The audio is the biggest failure that I see just from a purely technical uh, point of view. And sometimes it's not just, sometimes the audio sounds fantastic, but the they have not separated their audio, so they don't have separate audio tracks for the music and effects and the dialogue. And this is really important because what we now have, the opportunity for independent film now is global. Okay, this is not just about getting your movie out in the United States. There is a global interest in independent films. We're selling in 120 countries. My goodness, it's not just the With U.S. Anymore. digital. Oh, gosh, no. Uh, and so, you know, you have – it's even more critical than ever that you have your audio done correctly. Uh, and um, more and more platforms want you to have uh, 5.1 as opposed to just stereo. Yeah, I've been seeing that. And, uh, for example, on iTunes, if you only have stereo, you cannot sell your movie in HD even. No kidding. You can only rent it. In, or, in order wow. to sell and rent on iTunes in both HD and SD, you must have uh, 5.1. So that's something that a lot of people don't know. Interesting. And so, so, you know, and, and, and anyone can get 5.1 made for their, uh, for their film, but you must plan your audio recording in, to do that. So those are, again, it goes back to being well-prepared and thinking about these things, not just running out and shooting something. You know, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't cut it if you – because now your movies have to sit next to stud, big studio films. Yeah. When, you, when you go on Amazon or MGO, our films are sitting right next to the biggest films, biggest tentpole studio films. So they're not going to let a piece of junk go up there. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, now, there are – that doesn't mean that if you don't have a, a super top quality uh, film, you can't distribute it digitally. You can. Uh, for example, we put, you know, all of our films go on on um, Amazon. They don't all make it to iTunes because iTunes is pickier and curated. They're a lot more selective. More highly curated. They're more selective. Same with same with Hulu. So, uh, you know, so there are some some platforms. If you want the widest distribution. You need to pay attention to these things, lighting and audio. Now, also, because a lot of times they don't want to make a decision about the story mm-hmm. uh, or the content, they look at other criteria. Uh, they want to, It has to be able to pass these technical tests, and they have robots passing these tests. Well, let's talk know, a little bit more about now. those then. Let's go down that list. You've got a great list there. The... It used to be that somebody, if you were going to have a film, you'd send a tape and they'd watch the tape. And, right. You know, and, and then they would burn author a DVD from it. And that, was, that was the end, really. Or if your tape, you know, 
uh, was good, it would go uh, onto broadcast and right. wind up television or something. But now they ha- they actually have robots that that perform software tests and QC your your film. So it needs to be technically proficient. And for example, they that they have software that will pick up audio dropouts. No kidding. Wow. And if you have audio dropouts, you know, they're going to come back and say, no, you've got audio dropouts here, right? And uh, so, so, so it's, first it's got to pass the robot test. <laughs> but but that, unfortunately, that comes after they've decided if they want to do the film. So you can get approved and then not be able to pass the Oh, film, what a heartbreak. Which, <laughs> which, is, which is really rough. So, you know, it's really important that you keep everything from your editing system in place until you have gotten just on these well, digital platforms. Well, through distribution. I think that's an excellent okay. point. I've noticed so that of late. So people, they rent, a, they rent a, you know, an edit bay for three months and then buy, they throw it in the closet and, or they don't make adequate backup so that right. they can go back and make adjustments if they have to make adjustments. So, so, so that's really, really important to plan, you know, for your backup and stuff like that. Um, but, um, so, uh, you know, I just, again, it's about, it's about preparation. And now what, what curated sites are looking at is what is your social media audience? Okay. If you have no Facebook page or no IMDB page, they won't even consider it. So these things are important. Uh, IMDb has become, you know, super, super important. Um, so you must have an IMDb page. I think that everyone needs to be some film festivals. Even if they're small. Before they get into distribution, you're thinking? Well, no, no. Yeah. no. Uh, well, yes. You, but, but what happens is with distribution – Oftentimes, there's a there can be a three to six month lead time, so you can do festivals during that period. Oh, good point. Right. 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 And there are a lot of festivals, uh, you know, now uh, that don't require a premiere. Now, if you're headed for Sundance, uh, you know, I mean, if you have an absolutely incredible film and you happen to get in one of the top tier, top say twenty festivals, sure. they'll want you to not have any form of distribution until you premiere at the festival but but outside of that a lot of them are quite flexible we have several films that we are have in distribution that are still playing festivals <laughs> they get invited because they're good films you know so so um so then how big your social media audience is 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 critical for example we have a documentary about cricket well one of the stars from the big bang theory is the narrator and he has millions of Twitter followers. So let me tell you, that's something that's going to be very interesting to any digital platform because it means that with a couple of tweets, Oof. you know, you can blow something up. And so, so you've got to think about those things. And we didn't talk much about it, but you need a Facebook page from pre-production on. You need a Twitter account from pre-production on. And a YouTube account so that you can start sharing behind the scenes clips, those types of things that are going to engage your your audience once you are in distribution. You want to get people excited about your movie, you know. So so those things are 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 very uh, important to curated sites, you know. So. Frame rates, wrong frame rates. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about okay. frame rates and closed caption okay. issues and um, stuff like that? All 
right. So let's uh, talk about a few of the things uh, during uh, planning and production that are really critical to keep in mind. Okay. Uh, these days, um, it's absolutely critical that you have closed captioning for your film. It's a requirement of the FCC. Now that most people are watching, even though it's via the Internet, they're still watching it on television. So the FCC has decided they are in charge of the rules for that game. Uh, so um, even though it's not broadcast technically, uh, it is uh, coming to your television via the Internet, uh, and it does require closed captions. Uh, so closed captions used to be very expensive. Uh, you'd have to get them through a post-production house. They used to cost a couple grand right. for a feature-length film. Uh, then the, it started to get uh, competitive, and the price came down to about twelve hundred dollars, and then slowly worked down to like five or six because that was a a job. P now the people don't need tape. Post production houses that depended on tape production were looking for other ways to um, have revenue streams. Uh, but now there are companies that will do it for as little as a dollar a minute. So now captions only will cost you about a hundred dollars for your feature film, and. Uh, our favorite site is zencaptions.com. Zencaptions.com. Zen. Z-E-N. Z-E-N. C-A-P-T-I-O-N-S.com. Excellent. Okay. And uh, not only are they doing um, uh, captions, but they're about to launch a subtitle uh, oh, option. Brilliant. Which, which is so important because when now that films are globalized and we are, we are uh, selling films globally through – uh, Vimeo. We're, we have. We're just about to launch a new Vimeo channel. Uh -huh. uh, that's in. A, that's in over a hundred countries, and uh, we also are partners with Google. And uh, um, uh, through our partnership with Google, we're in 120 countries with our films. So, if you are distributing through iTunes and you have subtitles for the country that you want to distribute to, uh, you can. They can put you in whatever country you want. Sweet. But it does, you do need to have those subtitles. Now, what we usually recommend is that let's see how your film does. And if it looks like, you know, you have a lot of fans on Facebook in Spain mm -hmm. or Mexico, then maybe it's worthwhile to get Spanish subtitles. Smart. But with the cost coming down so much because of technology, uh, it's no longer cost prohibitive. It used to cost $10,000 to get, you know. It, it's uh, it's foreign subtitles. It's back to the same point. The technology is making everything possible. Now it's all about the story, and the impact of the story is going to be a result of how well you collaborate all through the process. Exactly. It's exactly. What, what about anamorphic? I have, I have uh, filmmakers bringing me things that are sort of burned in anamorphic. You know, even though it was shot sixteen by nine originally, and then they got to back well, that out. And well, let's let's uh, talk about that again. Uh, we did our last film, Anamorphic, and okay. so it's got a black letterbox on the top and right. the bottom. It looks cool. Um, yeah. it, 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 it depend if your film is kind of a, a lot outside right. and yeah. includes a lot of great landscaping, it can really ma make, you know, make it look yeah. uh, uh, nice. Uh, the, there are difficulties in that you have to you ha when you do your delivery to a distributor, <laughs> you need to provide both. Right. Uh, um, right. 
one with Anamor, one with Letterbox, and one without because different platforms, every platform has different specifications yeah. for delivery. So, for example, for Amazon, we can only deliver active video. That means we have to crop off the Letterboxing from the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right? right before we send it to them, so there's more it. work involved. So what we're asking now our filmmakers to do is give us two copies of the ProRes file, one one that's only the active video and the one that's uh, one that's sixteen uh, nine. Because in the end, the televisions are sixteen nine, and they like to fill a screen. Right. Yeah. People are like, well, why can't it doesn't so, fill the whole screen? You know. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why. And uh, the last thing you want to see your images stretched or squashed. You know, they look really bad. Uh, so so that, that really is important. And, and it's also important uh, that you um, don't switch um, your uh, frame rates. And we this is a problem we see with a lot of films. They'll shoot on a camera that's 2397. And then when they, when they put it into their editing system, they switch to 29. Nine seven or nine eight, and all of a sudden, you know, there's not enough frames, and it cause, and so the machine will fill in those frames from the other frames, but you, it it causes bad artifacts and yeah. ghosting, jittering and, and ghosting. Yeah, and and so so you have to be very careful not to mix your uh, frame rates or change your frame rates. You know, during your production, post production process, oh, and, oh, I've seen and it's that a, a lot. shame because. Yeah. We get films where those that ghosting is baked in. Yep. Yep. Or the same with interlacing. They want me to take it out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) You you can't. And uh, so those types of issues, you have to pay very close attention, you know, to that. Well, all right. So um, moving on to uh, before we sort of move on to the contractual side of things, which we wanted to end with. Um, there was there was one thing that uh, I thought you brought up. It was really interesting. I think some distributors. I mean, I think some filmmakers uh, sort of figure that if they just go on and do their own distribution by getting on Amazon Instant or something like that themselves, that that's like the best way to get started. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Uh, not only is it not necessarily the case, it could totally wreck your chances. Yeah, talk for talk more real about distribution. that. It was and, a good point. And, and that's 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 really really important. The very first, you want to really research your opportunity to be with a real distributor. Yeah. Uh, and and if you look hard enough, you you will find someone to work with because the day you start doing it on your own, you are automatically limiting uh, your distribution outlets. If in the end, you know, and there's only a small chance of that, you can't find anyone, then you do it yourself. And that's great because you can still wind up on Amazon, for example. Now, on uh, Amazon through CreateSpace, you can get your film up there. You can sell DVDs. They'll manufacture them for you. It's nice and easy. You can get on to your next film. Uh, They will put it on Instant Video, uh, Amazon Instant Video, where you can sell and rent it. However, it will only be – the downside is that it's only in standard definition. And if you've gone through all this effort to make a 4K movie, the last thing you want is to have your film out there in standard definition. That's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. So Amazon, if you want to be there in HD and you want to make it to Amazon Prime, which is a critical platform to be on these days, it's become one of the most popular platforms on the internet. 
uh, and it's on. Everybody has it on their TV. <laughs> Everyone. Uh, it's really out. Well, I think it outperforms just about anything. Uh, then you, if then if you want to see your film looking good on that, it it you know you have to go through an aggregator because only Amazon partners can uh, you know uh, distribute your film in HD and on Prime. So that's really, really important. So the last thing you want to do is put it up there as soon as you it's done. And I see this over and over again because it's almost impossible to get it down. And that's because once you put it up there and you say you sell even two or three copies of that film, what people don't realize is you're not buying the physical digital copy on Amazon. You are buying a license to view that movie whenever you want forever. So they have to leave it up. If somebody has purchased it, how can they take it down if somebody's already bought it? Okay? So big mistake to, to do that thing first. Uh, now with something like Vimeo, Vimeo has decided they are really going to compete with Amazon and Netflix. And so they uh, are, are now starting to work with distributors, not just individual filmmakers. Now, while you, while any individual can put their film up as a standalone film, if you go up with a reputable through a reputable distributor, you're losing very little of the revenue stream. For example, we charge uh, twenty percent, yeah, uh, uh, f you know, for our distribution services. The filmmaker gets eighty percent, so you're not losing that much. Um, I, and we're going to talk about that later, uh, a little, you know, a little more in detail about that. But, but it's important that if you put your film up uh, and, and you're not putting it up through a distributor, you're not going to get the benefit of that distributor's reputation. For example, Indie Rights has a lot of followers that if, if a new Indie Rights film comes out, they're going to look at it. And we publicize, you know, Indie Rights films. And we market indie rights films, so you have more chance of discovery if you're on our channel than if you're just a standalone film. So there's an advantage to that. Well, all right. So let's get into the most fearful topic that I would imagine most filmmakers um, have such reticence about, which is the contract. And to some degree, I can, uh, you know, from a little bit of experience that I've had over the years in this final process of getting the ball over the. The, the goal line is is uh, once you hand it to some distributors in the past, they've been somewhat not so good results for a lot of money that had to be added into it. So what what's the smart way to put together an arrangement with a distributor? The number one rule that if you do nothing else relative to distribution is go on IMDb Pro Look up the distributor that you are considering. See what films that they've had for at least a year or two. Call five of them. All you have to do on IMDb, every single film has contact information. Oh, cozy. How'd it work out? Yeah. Exactly. They don't Smart. have to tell you how much they made. Right. Just say, do you get quarterly statements? With details so you can see where and, and on what platforms your your film is selling on. And do they pay you on a regular basis? You will get tears 
when we did that, that's why we started Indie Rights, because people were crying, saying, oh, my God, they took my film. I never made a penny. <laughs> uh, they didn't bother to put it here or there or whatever. If you call five people and four of them say, oh, my God, they will never answer the phone. I can't get any. I can't get them to return an email. I never get any reports. I didn't notice in the contract that it said this. And they're stuck. So that's the first thing. If right. you just do that, you're going to get a feel for what that distributor's relationship is with his filmmakers. One of the things that sets us apart is that we want we have a personal relationship with our filmmakers and we respond to every phone call and email. And and it's critical and our reports are transparent. Um regarding the contract, you want to keep the term as short as possible. Uh most of them will ask for seven to ten years. They might back down to five, but most of them will want at least five. We we have a three-year contract that, that renews automatically unless you tell us you don't want it anymore. Three years? Uh, yeah, we have three years. Um, but, and, but ours is non-exclusive, so that once we get you on the premium platform, Smart. if there's other things that you want to do, we, we allow you to do that. You can try with traditional distribution to get non-exclusive, but it's very difficult. Oh, very few people I would do imagine. It. Very yeah. few people do it. The next thing is is uh, the expenses. Most distributors <laughs> uh, have will put in there. They might put in there fifty. First, we get fifty thousand dollars worth of expenses right. over the term of the contract, and then so you want to negotiate that as low as possible. I would never agree to anything more than ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I think that's a these, wise these, thing. These people are using, uh, you know, a lot of distributors. You know, they want to go to Cannes, they want to go to Berlin, they want to go to Venice every year, and so, you know, they they want that paid for. Uh, so uh, it's uh, really important that if they're if you do agree to. Uh, uh, expenses that you cap that as as low as possible. The next thing that's important and it's also hard to get is a performance clause. I have many friends that have been stuck in ten year contracts or five year contracts and never saw a penny or got a single report. So what would a performance uh, contract look like well, then? A performance contract says you will put X amount of dollars in my pocket within two years or I get my film back. Excellent. Very simple. Very simple. It's like your key word is keep it simple. Yeah. And so, you know, um, that actually happened with one of our films. Yeah, well, it's going to. It did because we it's okay. We wanted to try out uh, uh, foreign sales, using a foreign sales sure. agent. Sure, yeah. And yeah. because we put that, con we, we put that uh, clause in there, we were able to get that film back. Because they gave us projections like one point two million dollars. Yada yada yada. Sales. Yeah. They didn't, make, they didn't make one sale. <laughs> okay. So we got we got our film back. And so what? You know, the thing that's great about distribution these days is that you have forever to make your money back. <laughs> right? It used to right. be you you would you would if you were lucky enough to get a DVD deal, it went in the it went into Blockbuster or a video store and it would stay there for three to six months and then it would get replaced by the next one. You know, or if it was, if you were lucky enough to get it in stores like Walmart or Target, it would be on the shelf for a little while, and then it would re get replaced by the next one. Good point. And go into a dollar bin, and then that was the end. 
it, that then it was out of circulation. But now with internet platforms and digital, you are there forever. I mean, I don't know about forever, but it could be 20 years that you're going to continue to see money come to you. And so the more films you have, the more of those revenue streams you're creating. And it's like investing in real estate, like buying, you know, income producing real estate. So you're investing in yourself. So you have to, you know, you have to uh, keep that uh, in mind. Well, all right. There was one other thing I was going to say. Yeah, please Uh, add it in. uh, Most every contract that I've seen uh, from uh, traditional distributors will state, will have a tiny clause that says, if you haven't earned any revenue, we don't need to send you a report. Change that. You need quarterly reports. (laughs) Period. You know, because that's why we, we, we talk to filmmakers that, you know, three, four years ago on buying, they'd never gotten a single report. And they may have had quite a few sales, but if they're not doing any money, right. in other words, the expenses were more than what they earned, they have no idea how their film is performing. You want to know. You want to know. So, so that's, that's really important. So those are some hints. So, Linda Nelson, I got to say, <laughs> this is a rich conversation of amazing pieces of insight how can the audience get in touch with you um the easiest way is on facebook you can look for indie rights movies and uh we actually have a tab there that will tell you um you know how to submit a film if you want us to consider a film for distribution uh and uh or you can we do have a website you can uh search for nelson madison films which is our production studio because we make movies we're working on our fourth feature yay uh and uh or indie rights so if you search for either indie rights or nelson madison films we fill up the first three pages of google search so all right well one of them it's really easy there's lots of links very easy to find all righty. Well, listen, I hope you have a wonderfully uh, uh, rich and profitable uh, year this year. Thank you so much for sharing some very wise insight with us. Well, it's been my pleasure, and we uh, love to share with filmmakers. And uh, I think it's a, the very best time in history to be an independent filmmaker. Oh, excellent point. If you have any questions about this podcast or have any ideas for topics on color, please email me at tom at tomparish.com. Color Talk is in iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and get your latest show there, or I'll tell you a secret, I post in SoundCloud first. Hint, hint. Many thanks to Ginny Meadows at mycopyeditor.com for the faithful and kind and accurate copy editing. To Sinise Sebastian for the amazing use of 100% organic, gluten-free SEO tags to help make TomParish.com more visible in the search engines. And finally, Paul Cox, my C-level support person, CSAO, Chief Smartass Officer and longtime friend. Until next time, always be learning. Always be learning.